And well, you guys can find your seats and go with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Uh, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 4. And um, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. We love to study this together, and so our ushers are coming around. They'll just uh, give you a copy and just get their attention, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app and take some notes there. We are in Exodus chapter 4, and uh, we are actually going to do, we're, we're kind of changing pace here a little bit. Uh, this is actually our seventh message in the book of Exodus, and yet we're going to do the entire chapter today, all right? From here on out, you're going to see us taking some bigger chunks out of this, but just to uh, kind of recap, remind you where we've been, uh, this, this book is really the epic story of God leading his people out of slavery in Egypt and into a covenant relationship with himself. And a couple of weeks ago where we left off in uh, Exodus chapter 3, God had shown up in a burning bush. You remember that? And he successfully got Moses' attention out there and, and he said to uh, Moses, uh, he told him that he had seen and he had heard the cries of his people when they were in affliction in slavery and then he told Moses he said I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you can help lead uh, bring my people out of Egypt so God knows what's going on and he's about to step in he's about to do something and he is going to use Moses to do it and here we are uh, chapter 4, Moses is still looking at the burning bush. He's listening to God's plan, and he's like, yeah, I don't know about that plan, God. Um, we're, we're actually right in the middle of, of Moses making a bunch of excuses as to uh, why this isn't going to work and why he shouldn't really be the one to do it. God, is, God has given him a command, and he's about to send him out, and Moses is struggling to obey. I'm just going to guess that there's a few of you out there that can kind of relate to that. So here's the question, what do you do when God is calling you to do something hard, something that's uh, really difficult, asking you to do something that you feel like you're just not um, ready for, you don't think you can handle it, or it's uh, something that you don't really want to do? This happened to you? Sometimes we face these things that we're like, I'm not sure that I'm ready for this. Some of you are about to become parents. Some of you are about to become uh, parents again. And, and maybe, maybe um, the Lord is um, pressing this on you that you need to demonstrate some more patience at home with your kids or with your spouse. Um, or maybe, maybe you need to forgive somebody that's hurt you. And you're realizing how difficult that's going to be to have to face them or or, or maybe um, you're struggling to be faithful at work. Or you're going to have to take on some extra responsibility around there. And maybe, maybe God's making it really clear that you need to step out and talk to that coworker or talk to that neighbor about Jesus. And, and no matter what the task is, it just it, it seems really hard. And, and God is calling you to obey. And, and, and you're struggling with it. And maybe you're feeling a little bit scared. Maybe you're a little hesitant. Maybe you're kind of doubting. It seems like, God, you know, you could use somebody else for this. It would probably be a lot more effective than I am. Or maybe you're kind of worrying about it, feeling anxious. Whatever it is that you're feeling, there's the temptation to not obey, to not do what God is asking you to do. 
Okay, so maybe some of you feel that. Moses is going to have to learn that. So let me give you a big idea of the text this morning, okay? Here's what, here's what Moses has to learn. I think all of us can relate to this a little bit. Obedience is hard when you don't believe. But God is calling you to trust in him and not yourself. You see that? Moses is going to have to learn this. I think we do as well. Sometimes obedience is really hard, especially when you're having a hard time believing. God's not asking you to look inside yourself. He's not asking you to do it all by yourself. He's asking you to trust in him. Can I show that to you? Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We got a lot to read, so let's just start right there, verse 1. Then Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? He said, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even the two, these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart, and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Obedience is hard. Sometimes it's really hard. But let me give you two reasons why you can trust and obey, okay? Here, here's, here's the first one that we're going to learn. Note this. You have no good reason not to trust him. You get that sense? You really have no good reason not to trust him. I mean, Moses is, is, is remember, he's looking at a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And he's been confronted by the power and the holiness of God. He's learning about God's character. He's learning his name. God lays out his plan for how he's going to rescue his people. But, but Moses kind of gets hung up on the details and starts doubting the effectiveness of this strategy. He's like, God, this plan of yours is just not going to work, okay? Verse 1, he says, they're, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. They're just going to say, the Lord did not appear to you. 
Remember, Moses has already failed. The last time that we saw him trying to step up and take the lead was back in Exodus chapter 2. And at that point, he was just trying to settle a little squabble between two Hebrews. And when he stepped in and tried to help them out and fix in and kind of be a leader in that moment, they looked at him and they're like, who are you? Who put you in charge? Who made you judge over us? It's kind of humiliating for Moses. He's an absolute failure in that. And now God wants him to step up and lead all of God's people. And he wants him to go and stand up to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And Moses, understandably, in some ways, is looking at this and he's thinking, wait, time, time, time. You think they're going to let me lead just because I tell them that I heard this voice in this miraculous supernatural bonfire in the middle of the desert and that our plan is we're just going to walk up to the most powerful nation on earth and ask them to stop being mean and tell them to just let us go and give up their workforce and and you think that the children of Israel are going to be like, well, that sounds reasonable. I mean, I like this plan. Let's just let's follow this guy. No! They're not going to listen to me. They are not going to believe. But the reason that Moses is worried that they won't believe is because he doesn't believe. You see that? This is really just showing his own lack of faith and his own confidence in this God who is just, if you remember, has just told him he is the great I am. And Moses is just kind of struggling with this. But before we go any further, I just I want to point two things out because I think this is really encouraging for us. One is this. Do you just notice how patient God is? And praise God that he is so patient with us when we're struggling in our faith when we're struggling to really trust him and, and, and believe that he is who he says he is. In fact, he, he, he dialogues here. He lets Moses ask a bunch of questions, and he doesn't just jump right into uh, rebuking Moses. And, and, and I, I find so much encouragement in that. That God knows that for some of us, we're wrestling with this. We, we're trying, we're struggling like we want to, but this is, God knows this is hard. Man, I'm so thankful he's patient. But also notice this, that, that God directs our attention upward, not inward. You notice that? God is not some motivational speaker trying to pump you up so that you'll believe in yourself and, and, and that you'll just have this sense of this confidence in your own abilities and what. God's not looking at Moses and be like, Moses, I believe in you, man. You can do this and you got what it takes. And that's not what he does. In fact, God is really wanting Moses to look up and see him. And so what he's doing is he's demonstrating who he is and he's going to show Moses, Moses, you really have no reason not to trust him. So he says, verse 2, he says, hey, what's that in your hand? What, what, what's, what's that in your hand? Moses, and he, and he looks down, he's got this staff. This is going to become pretty significant. For now, this is just kind of a reminder for Moses that he's just a lowly old shepherd taking care of a bunch of dumb sheep on the backside of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, right? He is, he, he's in obscurity right now. He's, he, he used to be a prince of Egypt, and now here he is. He's a failure, and all he has is a staff, and he's taking care of somebody else's sheep. What do you got in your hand, Moses? It's just a staff. And, and he may not be holding a scepter like a king, or a sword, like a conqueror. 
But God is going to show Moses what he can do to lead his people like a shepherd. This staff is going to become really important, and we're going to see it in the next few chapters. We're going to see this as, as the story progresses. This staff is going to demonstrate and show us the powerful presence of God. And so God tells him, verse 3, you're looking at it, this is so fun. He says, take the staff in your hand and throw it on the ground. And so Moses throws it on the ground, and as soon as he does, it turns into a serpent. And what does Moses do? He runs away, right? Like everybody else would have done that. How many of you would have been running if you saw the serpent? Yeah, you're like, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? And the fact that he runs from it kind of tells me that it didn't shrink down into a little gardener snake. I mean, this thing's kind of deadly here. But then it gets better. I love this. Verse 4, God says, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. How many of you are thinking, mm-mm? I ain't doing that. Like, first of all, I ain't touching the snake. And second of all, I'm not grabbing it by the tail. Like, I am not like one of those outdoor Bear grills kind of guys that, like, knows all about these animals and stuff. But I'm pretty sure you don't grab a snake by the tail. Moses is not doing that. How many of you would have struggled in this moment uh, with picking up the snake? Okay, like, I'll just go talk to Pharaoh. I'm cool with that. Like, I, I don't want to have to do the snake thing. But do you, do you see what God is doing here? He's actually drawing Moses in. And teaching him to take the next step in trusting God. It's going to take a lot of faith to pick that thing up, isn't it? But the, the snake is actually also important because it's symbolic. You, you, you can uh, picture, you've seen so many pictures, you can just imagine it in your head, the, the, the pharaoh, right? And, and, and the crown that the pharaoh would wear, this headdress that he has. And what's sticking out on the, on the front uh, of the, the crown or the headdress of, of Pharaoh. It's a cobra, right? You got, you got this snake that, that is the symbol, this sign of Egypt's authority and its power. And when they look at Pharaoh, I mean, he's, he's, he's like a god, right? So, so it's, it's symbolizing the power of Egypt. And so think about what's happening here. The, the fact that that staff becomes a snake is actually, it's, it's not just a cool magic trick, okay? What he's doing is he's giving him a sign, it's a sign of God's sovereign and authority and power that he has over Egypt. And think about what that communicates when he says, now pick it up by the tail. You know what that's saying? We're not afraid of you. Not afraid of your power. Because God is demonstrating his power over Egypt in this moment. It's a picture of what God is going to do to Egypt. It's a picture that God is, is, is really over his enemies, okay? There's no power that's too great for him. In fact, the, the very first enemy, this is interesting, the very first enemy that we encounter when we start reading the Bible, we start reading the, the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Bible, we start writing Genesis. Who's the first enemy that we run into? Genesis chapter three. It, it just happens to be a, a serpent. Dr. Tony Morita's kind of pointed out then that, that Jesus really is the ultimate fulfillment of God's authority over evil here because he is the one who came and, and crushed the head of Satan, the serpent, by dying on the cross. Our Savior, our God, gives us victory. So can we trust him? You might be 
struggling a little bit, facing something really hard. But when you are, do you, do you spend more time thinking about your circumstances and how, how, how tough this is going to be and, 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 and your, uh, the obstacles and the challenges that you're facing? Or, or do you remember all the ways that God has proven to you that he's more powerful than that? So, so he's giving him, verse 5 really makes it clear, he's giving him signs. This is, this is not uh, tricks to draw a crowd so they'll buy tickets to the magic show. He's, he's really actually doing this for Israel. He's giving assurance to the people of Israel, verse 5, so that they may believe. He is showing his sovereign power and his authority so that they, when they hear this, they will trust his plan that he's going to save them. And then he gives Moses this second sign. He says, I I want you to stick your hand in your cloak. And he pulls it out. And as soon as he does, his hand is is covered in leprosy. In in those days, that would have been kind of freaky. This would have been a little bit concerning. But before Moses gets the chance to plug his symptoms into WebMD and really start freaking out, God tells him to put it back in. He pulls it out. And what? It's gone. It goes from unclean to clean, proving God's power to heal and to make his people who are sinners clean before him. And then if that's not enough, let me give you just one more sign. Here's the the third. He said, verse 9, I want you to take some water from the Nile, and that water will, when you pour it out on the ground, it's going to become blood, showing God's power over over nature, over creation. And also, this is the very first of the, the ten plagues. He's foreshadowing what God is going to do in the plagues over Egypt. And he starts so interesting. He starts right with the Nile River. I mean, the Nile River, they, they completely depended on the Nile River. It was so essential and, and representative of the life of Egypt. And God is saying right from the beginning, yeah, I'm in control of that too. So do you have any reason not to trust him? But verse 10, Moses is still not getting it. He's like, yeah, 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 that's cool. I mean, I'll admit the snake thing was pretty sweet. But, but I, I am not eloquent. God, I, I, am, I am slow of speech and tongue. And we're sitting here reading this, and we're like, Moses, why are you focused on yourself, man? And we, we, we don't exactly know um, what this problem was, whether he was um, stuttering or whether he just forgot his Egyptian or it's been so long since he'd taken speech class, and he's mo- mostly just been speaking sheep for the last 40 years, so maybe he's just not ready to talk in front of crowds. We don't, we don't really know what it is. But the real problem here, listen, the real problem is he's got the wrong eye. Think, think about it. All of his objections, all of his excuses so far ha- have been, who am I? What, 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 what am I supposed to say? They won't believe me. I can't talk right. I am slow of speech. I am slow of tongue. I, I, I. God's like, time out, time out. Wait, 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 wait. Who made God's mouth? Who who made man's mouth? Who, Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Yahweh, I am? See, Moses has been focusing on the wrong eye. Moses, you got to stop thinking that it's up to you, pal. I mean, you're, so, so you have a problem talking. Do you think, do you think that's going to be a problem for the God who literally made your mouth and gave you all of your senses and abilities? Do you think, do you think that's going to be a problem for him? He says, I am, and I am will be with you. And sometimes 
when I'm struggling to do what God has called me to do, and when, when I'm going through something really hard and I'm wrestling with it, uh, part of the reason that I'm really wrestling, part of the reason I'm struggling is because I'm thinking about the wrong I. And I forget that the great I am is with me. And the believer who has faith that leads to obedience spends less time looking at himself, looking at herself, and more time looking up and looking into God's word to see him. But when we don't crack our Bibles and we rush through the week praying, don't, you know, don't spend time praying, maybe we stop and throw up an emergency prayer when we're in, really in crisis, but other than that, we just kind of do it on our own. Well, what ends up happening is we, we, we lose focus. We start looking at the things that we want. We, think, we look at our desires. We look at our fears. We look at our insecurities. We look at our own abilities, and we lose sight of the God that we can trust. But then it gets more dangerous, verse 13. Finally, Moses just says, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. No, no, more, no more questions, no more excuses. This is just flat-out refusal. This is, I don't want to do it. I just, I just don't want to do it. And now God gets angry because he's already shown Moses, you have no good reason not to trust me. I mean, God has, God has shown his holiness in the burning bush. He, he's shown, shown his, his transcendence in his name, the great I am. He's shown his sovereign power and his authority and the signs that he's going to do over Egypt. And he's promised his presence is going to be with him. But at the end of the day, Moses refuses to believe that he can trust God. It's like, this is just too much. It's too hard. I can't, I, I don't want to do it. I feel like I'm preaching to myself here. I, I, I go through, I'm going through some hard things. I know um, you probably are too. And, and facing some uh, opportunities, things that are before you that, that you just kind of feel a little bit overwhelmed at times. But, but if we can be honest, a lot of times the, the things that God is asking us to go through, the things that we're having to face, um, we make them a lot bigger in our mind than they really need to be. I'm not diminishing the fact that there are hard things that we all have to deal with. I just heard of one this morning. I know that these things are real. But, but come on, God's, God's not asking me to personally go before a superpower and lead two million people, a couple million people out of Egypt in, in slavery. I mean, we end up, what we end up doing is we end up focusing on our circumstances and our trials, and, and we think about how hard they are, and we end up not doing what we know we should and, and, and what God is asking us to do because it just seems easier to avoid it. And we give in to fear and, and anxiety and frustration and anger and we throw up our hands in defeat and we let opportunities go by and we choose not to take advantage, not to do what God is calling us to do. It's just because we don't trust him. It's really because we don't trust him. Listen, the only reason that we have for not trusting God is unbelief. That's sin. It's just saying, God, I really don't think that you are who you say you are. I don't, I don't believe that you're going to be with me. I don't trust that you can handle this. 
What do we do when, we, when we're struggling, when we're finding ourselves in that moment and we, we don't feel like we can trust the Lord and praise God, he's so patient with us, but what, what do we do in those moments? Well, we confess that. And then we ask God to, to help our unbelief. God, help me to believe that you are who you say you are. You can do what you say you can do. And then we get into his word. We look at him in his word. And what you're going to find when you get into God's word is that only Jesus actually fulfilled the call of God on his life, which included the cross, by the way. Don't think that it was easy for him. Only he's the one who fulfilled it with complete, perfect trust and obedience. And we need him to be at work in and through us. Remember, he's not calling you uh, because he has full confidence in you and your abilities and, and, and things that you can, you can handle it all. No, he's calling you to trust him, that he's going to be with you and that he is going to work powerfully through you. I just think it's, it's, it's grace in Moses' life that God doesn't take no for an answer here. God, Moses tells him no. And it's like God's like, yeah, I'm not taking that answer. But he, he also doesn't make him do it alone either. So he sends Aaron along to help, even though Moses is going to end up doing most of the leading anyway. I think that's kind of funny. But verse 17, I love this. You've got to see this. Verse 17, it says, Take, he took in his hand, take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses, I get it, man. I know this is a big job, but don't forget your staff because this is the reminder to you that it's not you, it's me. And I am with you. I will be your security. And you are going to watch me work in powerful ways through you. It's a reminder that we can really trust God. Let me give you the second reason, though, that you can trust and obey here. Second reason you can trust and obey, note this. God will prove to you that he is faithful. God's going to prove to you that he's faithful. Okay, Let, let's keep reading verse 18. Let's, let's just keep going to the end of the chapter. Verse 18, Moses then went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, said to him, please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Love that. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? It's kind of weird. Then, then, then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. And so he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. I think we're going to ask some questions about that. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. 
So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Watch this. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. God's going to prove he's faithful. Listen, after all of those excuses, after all of those questions, after all those attempts to get out of it, here's, here's, here's Moses um, doing exactly what God said he was going to do. And he's finally going back to Egypt after 40 years, but this time he's actually going with some promises. This is kind of encouraging. Verse 19, he says, go back. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. We almost forgot about that wrinkle, huh? The last time that Moses was in Egypt, remember he had killed an Egyptian. And so because of that, the Pharaoh, who by the way, is got all the power and an army at his disposal, he was so angry that he put uh, Moses' mug shot on a wanted poster and was trying to kill him. And so this is kind of encouraging here. Like God is reassuring him that threat's already taken care of. Verse 20, what else does he have? He, God told him to, don't, don't forget this. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. He, he's, he's leaving the sheep behind. He's not going to be a shepherd like that anymore. But he's not leaving the staff. He's like, don't even bother packing this with the suitcases back there. I'm not, I'm not putting this in the overhead bin. I'm just going to hold on to this because this is my assurance. This is, this is the reminder to me that, that God is with me, and, and, and it's God's power. He's the one that's going to do this. And then, then he gives him this bit of news, verse 21. This is interesting. God, God gives him this news. He's like, oh, by, 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 by the way, do you, you remember when I said to you back in chapter 3, back in chapter 3, I told you that, that Pharaoh wasn't going to let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, so I'll have to uh, stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do, and after that, he will let you go. You remember that? Like, it's, it's just not going to be that easy. Well, one of the reasons that it's not going to be that easy, God says here, verse 21, is I will harden his heart. So that he will not let the people go. I was going to tell you, we're going to have to come back to that one, okay? Um, we're, we're, this is going to become a major theme. We're going to see this a lot more as, as the story progresses. And we're going to uh, have to come to understand and see God's sovereignty as it's, as it's playing out here. But, but Moses has got the plan, and he's got these promises, and God's making it, making it really clear. I'm going to do this, okay? You can trust me on this. And then we see this theme of a son. Verse 22, 23, you see this? He says, say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. So God is looking at the children of Israel and saying, they, they're my son. So let my son go or I will kill your son. God means business here. He's, he's not messing around. He is going to deliver his son, Israel, but only after he kills Pharaoh's son because Pharaoh refuses to obey God's command, and that leads us right into this weird story here that we have no idea, like this comes out of nowhere, right? But, but it does seem that there's a, a continuation of this theme of the son. So we have Israel is, is God's son, and then we have Pharaoh's son. Now we've got Moses and, and his son. 
And just like out of nowhere, we all of a sudden, we've got this scene out of like a horror movie, right? God's, God's trying to kill Moses. And we're like, why, why is he trying to, I thought he was going to use Moses. And then Zipporah is coming, his wife, and circumcises their son and touches Moses' feet with the foreskin and cries out, bridegroom of blood. And then, then, then God leaves him alone. And we're just kind of like, what? And what, what happened? Like, what, what was that? I know, I'm, I'm going to confess to you that there's still a lot of questions around this text, okay? There's a, there's a lot of interpretation. This is a hard one to really understand. But it does seem really clear that apparently Moses failed to circumcise his son. That was an expectation for all of the family of Abraham. All of the family of Abraham were supposed to uh, circumcise their sons as a sign of the covenantal relationship that they had with God. But apparently, Moses didn't do that. And we don't know why, we don't don't know what what was his reason that he failed to do that, but God is showing that he means business. Just like he meant business with Pharaoh, he also means business with Moses. And the only difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites is this covenant relationship that they have with God. They are his people. And circumcision is a bloody reminder of that relationship that they have, which obviously foreshadows for us the only reason, the only way that we can have a right relationship with God is because of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? But God, I think, is trying to elevate the importance of his relationship with Israel here to Moses. He's saying this, this is the reason. This, the reason why God is going to deliver them are his, he's being faithful to his promises to them. They're his people, and he's proving his faithfulness to them. So then God sends Aaron to go help Moses. They go to Egypt. They gather all the elders. They tell them everything God said. They do all the signs in front of them. You know, everybody jumps back from the, the snake, and they're all kind of wowed by the, the, the leprosy coming out. And then, and then the big moment hits. This is, this is the moment that, that Moses has been worrying about. What What are the people going to do when they hear this? How are the people going to respond? Remember, this is what this is what Moses was freaking out and worrying about before. Remember, he's like, 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 uh, who am I? And I don't know what to say. And and they're not going to listen. And they're not going to believe. Verse thirty-one. And the people believed. What must that moment have been like for Moses? Worked out after all. How many times have you been worrying about something, struggling with something, wrestling, and, and, and feeling like, oh, this is just too hard, or uh, I feel like I'm all alone in this, only to watch God prove himself faithful again and realize I probably should have trusted him from the beginning. I don't really know what I was worrying about. Here's God doing what he said he was going to do. And he does what he does because he is who he is, right? So when they heard that the Lord had visited, they had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped him. That's a sweet moment. Now, now honestly, they're going to 
um, struggle again with their faith too. But, but for now, when they realize that God has listened, that he's heard their cry, that he actually cares and that he's stepping in to do something and he's going to come and he's going to deliver them because he's faithful to his people, they are moved by the love of God to worship him. Has God proven to you that he's faithful? Have you spent time thanking God for the ways that he's proven himself faithful to you? And I'm not talking about, like, things that we just repeat every time we pray and we just say it really quick like we don't even mean it. I'm, I'm saying, like, have you stopped and thought about all the reasons, all the things, all the ways that God has proven that he loves you? Have you stopped and taken time to thank him for what he did for you on the cross? I'm telling you, if you, if, if you feel like your relationship with God is just kind of dry and, and you're facing something really hard right now and you're really just struggling to obey and you're facing these difficult circumstances, don't just keep plowing ahead. Don't just ignore and, and avoid doing what you know to, you need to be doing. Look to, look to Jesus and remember why he had to go to the cross for you. Remember what he did for you and remember how it's changed your life. Praise God that he loves you. And the more you think about that, the question comes back, doesn't it? Do you believe that you can trust him? Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you have any reason not to trust him? Just remember that you are loved. And God is faithful. We really can trust him. Lord, I pray that you would encourage your people with this. I, I, I thank you. I feel like Moses a lot. I felt like him a lot this week, facing things that I didn't really want to have to deal with and, and weren't going the way I was hoping and, and not really sure what was supposed to happen and how am, I, how am I supposed to do this. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Lord, sometimes we just face difficult circumstances, and it's easy for us to just want to give up. It's easy for us to get angry. It's easy for us to get frustrated. It's easier, easy for us to, to worry and to be anxious. And, and Lord, I pray that you would Show us again that we really can trust you. You're faithful to your promises. You do what you say you will do. And I pray that we would really look to the cross and be reminded again that we are loved. You have demonstrated your love and faithfulness to us there. I pray that no matter what it is that we're facing this week, you're just going to help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. It's not our own power. Lord, we look to you. We know again that we can trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.